All right, we're going to see if we can get this one going this morning. Welcome to 4th of July. Amen. And it's not that hot. Can no. you imagine that? Amazing. You know, I think all the people that are out to the lake, you know, this weekend, and I'm thinking, I've seen enough water for a while. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, yeah. <laughs> but you guys have been mowing with snorkels and swim fins, and I mean, there's no way. <laughs> But um, this is, uh, I, I really love doing this. Opportunities that come to minister are um, exciting to me and uh, always have been. I hope it never changes. I actually had a pastor one time tell me he had um, called me on a Saturday. And the emergency thing had come up and he said, man, I hate to spring this on you, but is there any way that you could preach tomorrow? I'm like, Yeah. And it caught him by surprise. He said, uh, really? I'm like, yeah. And I, he, said, uh, he said, man, he said, cherish that because you don't always have it. And I thought, why not? I don't ever want to lose it. I don't ever want to lose the, the, the excitement to share the Word of God. And Jeremy, Jeremy and I were talking beforehand, you know, and it's like I, some of my sermons are kind of weird. I mean, I preach with a duck call. I, mean, I can literally you know, take a duck call part for a sermon with using the duck call. We call it the duck call sermon. And I share it a lot at different events that I get to speak at. I've talked about a deer walking down the road. I shared with him this morning. I was driving from a duck hunt coming home and uh, saw a particular image beside the road that really caught my attention. And that image was a, was a bald eagle sitting in the top of a tree beside a stream. And, oh, I love eagles. I'm a bald eagle fanatic. I have stuff all over my house with bald eagles. But two branches down from that bald eagle was just an old black crow. And I thought, that's a funny picture. I mean, you know, this majestic bald eagle and then this nasty old crow two branches away. I thought, I should go back and take a picture of that. But before I could, I'm on the side of the road with the note open on my phone taking notes because God's pouring something into me as to what I'd just seen. And, and that's, I actually have a sermon called The Crow and the Eagle that came from that. So I shared a little bit with Jeremy I'll, I won't show the rest, but, um, you know, I mean, God does funny things. There was an old cowboy one day walked into a church, and it was, maybe it was a holiday weekend, and he wandered in, and there wasn't anybody there, just a, just a pastor in the, standing in the pulpit. And so old cowboy, he come in, he sat down in the front row, and the pastor looked at him and kind of waited a little bit, waited a little bit, and thought, man, so he just, boy, he gave the whole sermon. I mean, he'd give everything he had. He just preached his heart out. The old cowboy sitting and listened to everything. When it was all over, the cowboy got up to leave, and the preacher run caught up to him. He said, sir, he said, just wanted to know what you think of the sermon. He said, well, sir. He said, you know, I've been feeding cows all my life, and he said, when one old cow comes to the trough, I ain't never give him the whole bale. <laughs> 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 I was kind of hoping these guys would sing another song, so I'm thinking we're going to be out of here in about 20 minutes. <laughs> it, don't, it don't take me long, so. But I do want to tell. I want to share with you something that you got to put on my heart. It's called root issues. Anybody ever dealt with something that had roots? Yes. You know, oh, that's so frustrating. You know, I, I, I Johnson grass of all things. I hate that stuff. It's coming up in my garden. Do you know how hard it is to get that junk out of your garden? And you, you got to cut and cut and chop and dig because you got to get the roots. 
If you don't get the roots, it just keeps coming back. You can't just snip it off. Well, that's what my sermon is about today, is root issues. A while back, I made a solemn vow. I was going to stop obsessing over texts and emails and maybe social media posts and decided that any time that I heard that ping on my phone indicating I had received a message, I would not feel the urgency to check it immediately. And when I did check, I would not reread and reread and reread the other person's post. And that I would not rewrite or rewrite or rewrite my response. I know you're guilty of this. You ever, you ever text, you know, posted something, you know, you've like written your response out and thought, ooh, backspace, backspace, backspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot. <laughs> My digital resolution lasted, well, honestly, I don't think I ever stopped accepting over text, emails, and social media posts. Not only did my vow not last, I never really even got started. Sounded good, right? And, and I do, I, I, especially in today's social world, you, you see lots of things. People post lots of things, you know? I mean, some things you think, why would you write that? I, I think that a lot sometimes. And, and I'm very careful. I mean, I, arguing about politics and religion, whew, that's pretty useless. I mean, it really is. I mean, there's no point. But I'll have to say that every now and again, somebody posts something so dumb that I just can't stand it. And I'm going to put my foot in it. And then it's going to start this war, you know. But the one thing I have learned, and actually I have a lot of fun at this. I, I can be very um, ornery when it comes to things along this line because... When you begin to debate, especially spiritual things, and all of your responses are scriptural, eventually the other party gets tired of arguing with you. Because I didn't write it. It's just what I believe. And the Word of God will eventually shine a light into darkness, and that darkness has to flee. So I actually have a lot of fun with that. I, I, I do try to avoid most conflict anymore, but uh, it takes up too much of my time. But the, the problem with how we attack our problems is that we go after the problem. Let me say that again. The problem with how we attack our problems is that we're going after the problem. We focus solely on the behavior by making a commitment to start or stop doing something. I know we've all done this, right? We, we've decided perhaps maybe we've made this declaration. You know, we all have these New Year's. I didn't even do a New Year's resolution. I quit doing that a long time ago. But you're, you're going to change something in your life. You make this declaration. This year, I'm going to eat healthy and exercise every day. Yeah. I'm going to stop dating. Anyone who is, who is I'm going to start dating anybody who's mean to me. In fact, I'm not even going to date at all. That's actually a good analogy right there. Don't date at all. Leave them alone. I'm tired of wasting my time on social media and comparing my life with everyone else's. I'm getting off for good this time. I, I love watching those posts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, take a break from social media. About two hours later, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to exaggerate or lie or gossip or get attention or feel better about myself. No more. No more. 
I'm going to read the Bible every morning for the whole year. Hmm. Whatever your vow was, how did it go? I mean, I think all of us have made some sort of declaration at some point in our time where we've made some vow, some commitment, and we haven't followed through. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm going to eat healthier. Tacos. So, I mean, you know, the distractions are right in front of you. It's just hard for me to turn them down. But it's like, you know, I know in my life I should do things differently. I've had several heart attacks. I've got some extra plumbing in me. You know, I really should take better care of my health. But then I love the argument that some people bring to me. Well, you know, it's not always about, you know, what you eat. It's hereditary. Bingo. It's my dad's fault. You know, it's not what I eat because I eat cheesy, greasy, you know. It doesn't have any effect on my heart. <laughs> but we, we make these declarations and we, we make these vows and then something happens very quickly, usually, to break that. Yeah. And, we, and we just can't keep them. Behavior modification doesn't work because the focus is only on modifying the behavior. To be more specific, the problem is the neural pathway that leads to the behavior. If you don't get to the root of the problem, which is the thought that produces the behavior, you're not going to change it. If all you do is go after the behavior, it's not going to change. We've got to figure out where's the root that's causing the behavior. Let's say you hate an ugly tree in your yard. And I have one of those. You want that tree gone. Finally, you decide the time has come to take care of the problem. So you march out into your yard with your little small handsaw. You pick the ugliest branch on that tree and you cut it off. You smile. You walk back into the house proud, triumphantly singing a medley of all I do is win. And another one bites the dust. You're victorious. But the next day, you're shocked to see that tree is still standing. Strong as ever. And as you stare out the window at it, you're pretty sure that that tree is smirking at you. Like, uh-huh. I know that analogy sounds a little odd, but you would never try to kill a tree by just removing a branch. That's not, that's not going to work. And we, and we know that. Because the branch obviously isn't the problem. The tree is the problem. And actually, the root system of the tree is really the main culprit. Because even if you remove the tree... Unless you take out the root system, the tree may very well grow back. Well, if we decide that I'm going to stop yelling at my kids or maybe going to stop isolating myself and living a lonely life or I'm going to exercise every day or we're just sawing off a branch. We're ignoring the real problem of the lie that we believe and the mental health threat that we fall into. Attacking only symptoms instead of the source. Thinking I can change behavior just by removing the behavior isn't going to work. The behavior isn't the root problem. The neural pathway that leads to the behavior is the problem. If I stop a behavior, it will come back. Unless I remove the lie at the root of the behavior. And I replace that neural pathway that leads to that behavior. 
Where will we get these new thoughts? I got a hint for you. It's probably not going to come from scrolling through social media posts, listening to your favorite playlist, or phoning a friend for their opinion. To stop the lies, we replace them with the truth. We need to look into God's word to find those truths. That's what Jesus did. When Satan tempted him, Jesus didn't whip out his iPhone and open up version, that Bible app, and search for a verse that might help him. I mean, I know we do this, right? We find ourselves in a situation and we're thinking, what was that scripture? And so we're searching. And version makes me so angry because I post what I think it used to say in the Word and it can't find it. No results. I know what's in there, but I'm not wording it correctly. It's frustrating to me, you know, because apparently my own version doesn't work real well with the versions that are listed in version. So... <laughs> He answered, it is written that man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. See, Satan come after him with scripture. Did you realize that? Satan tempted Jesus with his own word. Satan knows God's word. He knows it quite well. And he literally used it against the Lord himself. How did Jesus defend himself? With truth. See, Satan likes to twist things. He likes to twist those words up. He likes to change it just a little bit. Make it more palatable. To make you feel better about what you're doing. But when you get to the root of the truth, that's what destroys the evil. It's what defeats it. And it's what Jesus did. He had already internalized the truth from God's word. And created a helpful neural pathway. When tempted, Jesus followed that path, leading him to obedience and to freedom. He already internalized the word. He had been in it. He had been studying it. He had been reading it. Guys, it's not just enough to sit in the service and let the guy standing here feed you. I did not reach this form from eating once a week. Right? I feed myself something every day physically. Why am I not doing that spiritually? Why am I not taking in the Word of God on a daily basis? Because without it, I'm not going to be prepared to fight when the enemy comes. I'm not going to have that neural pathway arranged in my mind to know exactly what to do when he attacks. I'm not going to know what to pull. And it's very much what we need to do is to get into his Word and be prepared for battle. What do you think our military does? There's anybody, anybody in here a veteran? You're a veteran, sir? Thank you for your service, starters. Did they just sign you up and say, here's your rifle, go? Huh. Well, they sent you to basic training. Some of that's pretty brutal. Some of that's no fun. Some of it makes no sense. <laughs> but they sent you there to train you. Not only train your body, but train your mind. That's exactly what we must do as a Christian. We have got to get into God's Word. We've got to get into boot camp. We've got to not only do things that make us physically uncomfortable, taking that time away from things that, like we might be watching TV or something instead, and getting into His Word and reading. And then it it begins to exercise our mind, and we begin to have the things that we need 
to fight the battles that we're going to face. The second tool for changing your thinking is to rewire principle. It's a rewire principle. Rewire your brain. Renew your mind. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Renew your mind. Get rid of the stinking thinking. Right? <laughs> well, that'll be a sermon title right there. Get rid of your stinking thinking. You know? <laughs> I could probably write that. <laughs> but you think about that. Is that not truth for us? Our mind most usually is far from the things of God. Our world system today, our society, our culture takes us far, far away from the things of God. And I was sharing with Jeremy earlier, God's really not very complicated. He's actually really simplistic. His word is very simplistic. It's not complicated. We don't have to do ritualistic things. All he wants is relationship. That's a simple measure. He created us to be in relationship with him. I mean, in all honesty, when God created Adam in the garden, he literally wanted someone in his own image to relate to. Just someone to hang out with. Can you imagine being Adam walking in the cool of the garden with God himself? (laughs) That, That just amazes me. You know, how did he mess that up? Oh, I know we like to blame it on the woman, right? And so, let me give you a little tidbit, maybe something you had never thought about. Did you realize that God told Adam not to eat from the tree? God didn't tell Eve that. God told Adam that. So Adam was supposed to tell Eve that. Adam knew better, but he still partook. So we can't blame that on anybody but us. (laughs) We make those decisions. It's a personal thing. We made that decision. But because of it, it messed this all up to where now Adam can no longer walk in the cool of the garden with God himself. Now he has to go out and work and toil and bring from the ground anything that he has. He's going to have to fight that Johnson grass and those roots and those briars and those thickets to try to have some sort of a garden. You know, I, I deal with the anxiety, I guess, if you want to call it that. I'm not really sure what it is. <clears throat> but uh, money is, is a trigger for me. Um, I'm self-employed. You understand that fact. So as self-employed, if you're not working, you're not making any money. If you're not making any money, you can't pay your bills. And they keep coming. doesn't matter whether you're working or not. I haven't figured out how to shut that valve off yet. But I, I worry about things. And it's and so silly. I, you know, I, mostly what I do right now is seasonal. I, I do hail damage on vehicles, so I chase these storms around. I'm the one praying for hail all the time. And, uh, but I, I get so worked up to where I, if, I, if I'm working and we're making money, I, I can't not work. If, if it's there, then, then we're going to work six, seven days a week if necessary, especially if we've had to travel somewhere. We put in at least six days a week, usually from seven to seven, however long the shop will let us stay. And we make as much as we can make on that storm before it's gone. 
and, and all that, you know, you just pack that into the bank and you pack that into the bank because you know that that season's going to come to an end and, and then you're going to have to survive from the end of this season to the next season. And I think every year, well, if we get a good, good season going, you know, and we, we get to the end of the season, we won't take a vacation, we won't go somewhere. And, man, we work hard and we make all the money we need to make and we pack it all in the bank and then, and then work ends. And then somebody says, hey, let's go on vacation. I'm like, ooh, I can't spend that money. I mean, it's got to last until we start working again. So this thing in my mind messes me all up. And it gets so, <laughs> my anxiety can really, really get to me. And it's so dumb. I mean, I can get anxious and have a panic attack getting ready to go deer hunting. I love deer hunting. But it's something to do with that, you know, making sure I have everything I need. You're making sure I have everything in order. I had to preach a sermon at a funeral yesterday at 2 o'clock. And guess who was ready at 11? Why? I mean, you know, my, I had all my notes already done. You know, all I had to do was just dress and get there. And, and I have to map this all out in my mind because if I don't, this, this anxiety, this, this triggering thing messes with me. And I know some of you may have similar issues may not necessarily be money, but even with, with mine, with, with dealing with money and things like that, God actually has some, some things to, he says about that. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Everything I need. Now, I have a lot of wants. But God takes care of my needs. I'll tell you another little story just off the route. I was juvenile detention center chaplain in uh, Farmington, New Mexico. San Juan County is one of the largest counties in New Mexico. And man, a melting pot of culture. The Native Americans, the Navajo, the Navajo Nation is there. Um, the Latino population is huge. And, and so there's, you have a, a, just this, this monstrous mess of youth. And they're into all kinds of things, not only just alcohol, pot, but these kids are, you know, they're doing meth. And I mean, I had a young man in, in the system that was, that was doing something they called jet fuel. They were literally cutting meth with airplane fuel. <laughs> she, the guy was brave. He was, he was, he was extremely smart kid. Um, kind of silly to say about someone doing meth, but he was a very brilliant mind. But he, he no longer even had any sinus passages left from this stuff. But while there, I used an analogy with them one night. I always wanted crew cab, Dodge Cummins, turbo diesel, four-door. That was my dream truck. I mean, I wanted one bad. I didn't need one. I just wanted one. There wasn't anything in me that needed it, you know? And I, I made the comment to them one night that should I need that for ministry, it's possible I could have walked out of that facility and it would have been sitting in the parking lot waiting on me. God would meet my need. Not always would he meet my wants. Several years down later, down the road, he actually gave me my dream truck. And when I drove out of the parking lot with it from the dealership, I had to pull over side the highway and ball like a baby because I realized that God had just given me one of my dreams. You know? I mean, it's, it's cool how he does things like that. He takes care of our needs. In Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will supply all your needs 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And somewhere it talks about how he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I've asked him to <laughs> let me sell a couple of those from time to time. You know? But because you know, we find ourselves in need, but he literally says, I'll take care of it. From, from these things I put together what I call a declaration. What I'm declaring to be true in my battle against the lies that I'm tempted to believe. The goal of a declaration is to have it become a new neural pathway. An intentional dug-in trench of truth. Something that we can go to. Here's Here's a declaration for you based on God's word. Money is not and never will be a problem for me. My God is an abundant provider who meets every need because I am blessed. I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with irrational generosity because I know it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. Most of my early life, I had a passion to help people. And I would get so frustrated when I couldn't. I'd see it. I'd see the need. And I couldn't do anything about it. When I reached a point in my life where God really did bless me financially, I give constantly. It doesn't matter what to. Um, I know the Bible says, you know, not to let the left hand know what the right hand doing, but I took on a project 15 years ago for a missions need in, in Mexico. Happened to be a place that I'd been to with a group of youth. Gotten very passionate about their work there in Puerto Penasco. Loved the people, loved the culture and what they were doing. I had an opportunity to begin to give into that ministry and basically what I did was I paid the rent on a house in Puerto Penasco, Mexico that anyone who came, missionaries, um, pastors coming in to visit, whatever, they used that house to house those people. I got to stay in it two or three times myself. But I've paid the rent on that house for almost 15 years. Been there three times. <laughs> I've paid the rent on that house at times when I didn't think I was going to be able to pay a truck payment or anything else. But I committed something to the Lord to pay to him. And you know what's crazy is no matter how destitute it looked like I was, I've never gone without. God's always provided. Even in the hardest of times, in the slimmest of times, when I've given to God, he's given back to me. Matter of fact, the word says in the same measure in which you give, he'll give back to you, pressed down, shaking together and running over. I dare you. I dare you to tithe. I dare you to give to missions. And, and I, I'm not telling you to give because I'm telling you to. You get in your heart and you get with God. Because God will deal with you on that. And when he does, when you give from your heart, not, not I don't give so that he'll give back to me. It's not, that's not the thing. You know, I give because I feel passionate about supporting what he's doing in other places and other people. And by doing so, God blesses me. It's a a crazy thing, but it's a truth. And it's a biblical truth. And it's one of those that you can lean on always. And and it's not just money. Serve. Give your time. 
You know, I mean, there's a, an old adage that comes with church that, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's sad. But it's a truth. Because we're all too busy. Well, we pay the guy to stand up here. He can take care of it. And then what we pay him for? It's his job. Man, that's a sad analogy to even think about. But it happens day in and day out across America. This, this thing about servanthood, when, when Jesus talked to his disciples and, and he gives them, gives them that commandment, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He, he, the, the, the great commission is not go. That's not, that's not the commission. We go all the time. We're the goingest people in the world. But the commission was preach the gospel. As you go, share your life with someone. Share your story with someone. Minister to someone. Meet someone's need. Because we're going to go, so while doing so, take care of something in the process. That happens to be just one of the declarations that we could speak directly to a problem that, that maybe has plagued me. These statements create new pathways. They, they lead to peace and generosity. What, what type of a neural pathway could you create that might help you? Well, it depends on where you're at and what you need. Draw your declarations from God's truth and make them your own. Be creative. Write these declarations in a way that they will speak to you and inspire you. Put them in places where you can quickly see them and memorize them. Put them in the notes on your phone so you can just swipe over there and see them. Record them in a voice memo so that you can listen to them. Maybe as you exercise or drive. Repetition will dig new trenches deeper and deeper, making the new pathway easier and more accessible. Yeah, I tell people all the time they struggle. You know, I, I, I counsel with a lot of, I do a lot of veteran ministry, and um, it's challenging. Um, a lot of guys really struggle. Um, combat vets have been through a lot. Uh, not just combat vets. Our emergency services people, especially this year, have been through a lot. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of things to deal with. And I deal with a lot of trauma with people. I have a lot of training in that ground, so I take after it. Something that I do. But one of the things that I talk about constantly with anyone who's dealing with trauma is capturing your thoughts. It's, it's a simple analogy. We don't think about it often, but... I told a young, uh, an older man, uh, actually I was in Mexico, on one of our missions trips, and this guy was actually dealing with thoughts of suicide on a regular basis. Now this guy's almost 70, dealing with thoughts of suicide on a regular basis. How terrible. And, and it was something in his mind. It, was, it wasn't that he was destitute, or I mean the man wasn't destitute at all, very supportive of that ministry down there. But something in his mind wasn't clicking right all the time. And he would find himself just with these huge desires to take his own life. And I made a comment to him one day just after a church service. I've been thinking about him. And I, and I said, Art, maybe you ought to try capturing your thoughts. And he looked at me funny like, what? Well, maybe you ought to try capturing your thoughts. He said, well, how do you capture a thought? It's a good question. How do you capture a thought? Well, see, the thing is, that as our mind begins to wander off in places that it shouldn't, or maybe onto something dark or something that we shouldn't visit, the best thing you can do is either put memorized scripture to work 
Maybe your favorite worship tune. Mine is an old song from, from Hillsong's Darling Check wrote called Jesus Lover of My Soul. I love that old song. But that's my go-to. When my mind begins to wander off into places it shouldn't go, if I can get that spinning, and I have to, I have to do it, I have, to, I have to make the step to start thinking of that tune. And I begin to sing that song in my head. And the next thing you know, I'm no longer thinking about those thoughts I had. I'm thinking about the song in my head. I've just captured those thoughts and I've subjected them to Christ. Maybe it's a memorized scripture. Whatever it may be. But if you're struggling with things, that implanted word, that, that memorized word, that, that thing that we put into us becomes that new neural pathway Amen. that captures those thoughts and puts us back on the right path. <coughs> Write your declarations if, if, as if they're already true. Speak those things that are not as though they are. I love that piece of scripture. Speak those things that are not as though they are. Speak into them with truth. Even if you don't fully believe it yet, with a new declaration, we're claiming victory that we have in Christ. And we need to create a new pathway that affirms our ability to overcome the stronghold and win that battle. All this might feel foolish, but remember, anything new can feel strange when we first begin it. You'll be saying something that you want to believe, but your life may be saying something different. Keep speaking truth. Don't be discouraged and don't give up. The gravitational pull of our old negative thoughts will likely be stronger than you can imagine. But resist those lies. Keep renewing your mind with God's truth and it will become true to you. In Colossians 3.16 it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Yeah, we need to be lifting everybody up instead of putting everybody down. <laughs> we live in a negative culture. Our, our society's shift is so negative today. Everything is chaos. Everything is negative. Everything is ugly. Everything's a war. Everything's a battle. Begin to speak positive things to those around you. You see somebody struggling, man, be nice to them. We, we walk in and out of shops all the time, and, and I had a shop guy one time said, Dude, why are you always so happy? Opportunity. You know, I just shared with him. And a couple of days later, my son and I had a prayer meeting with him right in the middle of the shop floor because he was struggling with life. <laughs> you know, it opens doors. When you begin to be positive with people, sharing your faith, living like you have a promise. You do. If, you're, if you belong to Christ, you have a promise. You're going to win. I've read the end of the book. Amen. We win. To those who overcome. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Light dispels darkness. Did you know that actually scientifically darkness doesn't even exist? It's not real. Scientifically, darkness is simply the absence of light. All you do is shine a light. Darkness has to flee. It just takes a little, and it has to go. It can't come back until you turn the light off. <laughs> you know, a story said that if you carry a lit flashlight, a rattlesnake won't mess with you. As long as you carry it fast enough. 
I don't know where I get this stuff sometimes. It messes. Uh, Psalms 119.11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. See, when we put the word of God in us, when we live and breathe it, it helps us not to sin against God. Why? Because our spirit is quickened to his word. It's there. It's, it's our natural path. And I'll close with this. 2 Timothy 3.17 Do these things so that the men or the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. When you put the word of God in you, it completes you. It makes you complete so that you can do every work that God has put you to. That's what he's called us to. He has called us for such a time as this. I, you know, this world is in chaos. It's a mess. <laughs> Everywhere we look, it's a mess. All these questions, all these concerns. What next? What happens now? And I keep thinking, I'm excited. This is our time. This, this is our, we're hope in this messed up place. We're the light in the darkness. Live that way. Live in such a way that someone sees that you're a light. The, the, you know, the lighthouse thing, we don't even hardly see those anymore. But you think about the old lighthouses. What were they for? They were to guide the way and they were to point out danger. A lighthouse set on a rocky point and it usually meant, hey, you know, the ship, you need to go to the left or to the right of this for your passage. You don't know, come towards the light. Go, go through it, go around it. It pointed out the pathway to where they should go. You're a lighthouse in this dark world. Get yourself aligned with the Lord. Put his word inside you and let it light you up so that you can share with someone else. Get excited. And I was, again, sharing with Jeremy what, what, what this ought to be on Sunday morning. My, my rendition of church, as that should be, this should be a place of celebration. Amen. We, should, we should come in here celebrating all of the ministry that took place throughout the week from each one of us. And that man of God standing in this pulpit will do nothing more than rebuild us, refill us, refuel us, fire us back up to send us back out for another week. That's what this is about. We talk about, the scripture talks about an end time revival, the latter rain. Guys, we're here, but it's not going to come from these big staunch churches, these big spiritual things. It's going to come from a remnant of people who are hungry for God's spirit, who are hungry to see a move of God, who are hungry to see him work through them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for your anointing, your, your power in this place, your presence in this house. God, I, I just ask that you take that word and plant it deep in our hearts. God, that we recognize it and that it, and we go to it, we can use it as it grows inside of us. God, there are those here today who need these, these little tidbits of, of treasures to hold on to in this difficult time. And God, I pray that you show them that they can trust you, that they can grab onto you, that they can hold you close. That God, that you're always going to provide for them, always going to meet their need. So God, today, I just ask that if there's anybody in this place who isn't right with you, who doesn't feel like they're solid with you, God, don't let them leave this place the way they came. God, let them seek you and everything about you before they go. 
that they leave this place whole and complete in you. And the God that you challenge us to be who you called us to be in this world, a light in the darkness, that we go into all the world and we preach your word, we carry your light, and we shine out to those, that we seek out the lost so that they may be found. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. God, I pray for Pastor Sean and his family. God, you just cover them. Cover them with healing. God, I pray for Amber and her family. You cover them with healing. God, the, the, the leaders of this church, the, the, the deacon board, the, the teachers, the leaders, God, cover them. Pour out your spirit. Let, let your anointing begin to flow. Let this place become an artesian well that springs up, not to be contained, but that flows out into this community and that touches every, every heart in this place and draws them unto you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great 4th of July.